WWE Retro on the WWE Podcast on this Friday, August 26th, although by the time you guys hear this, it will probably be Saturday, August 27th, as yes, getting this to you a bit late today, as um, yeah, I've been feeling under the weather a bit, Uh, has been battling an on and off fever, hurt my foot, having some back pains, it feels like I'm 70, 80 years old all at once, and uh, yeah, so if anyone has been dealing with the fever, you know just how uh, tiresome and how draining it is throughout a week, and then you throw in some physical pain along the way, it has not been fun, but I am here better late than never, as they say, but we're going to go back today, and believe it or not, going to cover something in Ruthless Aggression, and that is WrestleMania 21 in 2005 from the Staples Center in Los Angeles. And I think it's fitting because this year's WrestleMania, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be the first time WrestleMania is being held in Los Angeles since then. I know that they were back in, I believe it was San Francisco for WrestleMania 31, one of my personal favorite WrestleManias. But I don't think they have been back in the heart of Los Angeles for WrestleMania since all the way back in 2005. So it is going to have been 18 years. And look, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty certain on this. And of course, it won't be in Staples Center, or as it's now called, I believe it's Cryptocurrency Arena or Crypto.com Arena, whatever it's called now. But it will be held, I believe, where the LA Rams play. I'm not very up to date with all the stadiums being named in the US. But I thought it would be fitting to go back and cover what they dubbed it as WrestleMania going Hollywood. And if you remember, they had all those uh, cool WrestleMania clips of, um, you know, the wrestlers replaying favorite scenes in the movies where you had Eddie Guerrero and Booker T playing the scene from, what was it? Was it Pulp Fiction? No, Pulp Fiction was uh, Christian and um, Stacey Keebler and Chris Jericho. But I actually believe that there was uh, Eddie Guerrero and Booker T played it from Pulp Fiction as well. They played uh, it was uh, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta. I just can't really put my name on the finger of what movie it was from. Or you had JBL and John Cena playing the scene from A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. You had The Undertaker playing Dirty Harry. And you had Kurt Angle and um, Christy Hemi playing, I forget what the name of the movie was, but I remember Bill. Uh, it was Billy Crystal who Kurt Angle was playing. But my personal favorite was what Triple H and Ric Flair had to play for themselves. Sons of Scotland, I... I'm Triple H. Now I've heard the stories. I'm seven feet tall. And I defeat superstars by the hundreds. 
And if they were here, I would consume them with fireballs for my eyes and lightning from my heart. But I am Triple H. I stand here before you in defiance of tyranny. I come to Hollywood to wrestle as a free man. And a free man am I. Would I be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to shine on the grandest stage of them all and tell my enemies that they may try at WrestleMania, but they'll never take my title! Are you with me? <laughs> I found it so funny when Ric Flair shows up at the end with the donkey and starts riling him up and then Triple H falls off the horse. But that's just kind of a uh, an example of the types of clips and the, uh, the vignettes that WWE was doing to prepare for WrestleMania going Hollywood. And look, this was one of the best builds to a WrestleMania that I can remember watching in real time. And I find that in recent years, especially like in the PG era, and mostly in the later years or up until a couple months ago, uh, Vince McMahon's like time at the helm, it always felt that if WrestleMania was going to feel like a success, it was going to be because of the in-ring action and the and the delivery in real time, not as opposed to the build, which you can make the cases better, like from a pure wrestling standpoint. But for me, I always just loved the road to WrestleMania. And, you know, you you had, let's say, WrestleMania this year. It was a good example where I thought the build to the pay-per-view was absolute dog, you know what. But the actual pay-per-view, aside from a match or two, including the main event for the Undisputed Championship, was really good. And it was a really good WrestleMania, but the build really lacked in trying to hype people up for it. This WrestleMania was almost the polar opposite to me, and I'll get to that. Um, but the build was really, really strong. And the match opened with, um, or the match, <laughs> the match that the pay-per-view opened with before it actually went on the air was the interpromotional Battle Royal, a 15-on-15 match of Team Raw versus Team SmackDown, where you could actually only see if you bought the WrestleMania 21 DVD which I happened to actually buy. And what happened is is that you had, the fir- for the first time ever, Raw and SmackDown be pitted against each other since the, the inauguration of the brand split. And you, you hadn't really seen them go head-to-head in a way like this. And it wasn't even televised, right? So it was mostly just for an in-audience entertainment purpose. And it ended up being won by Booker T., eliminating Chris Masters, who I don't even believe had appeared on Raw yet. I believe he was just making the circuits around on um, on Sunday Night Heat. And, you know, that was a good way to open the card. It was an entertaining battle royal. Team battle royals are always interesting. 
And uh, before the actual show went on the air, it was good to get a, in a little battle royal, have a fan favorite win it in just over 11 minutes. The card opened up with Rey Mysterio defeating Eddie Guerrero in a singles match in 13 minutes. And this was like the kickoff to the Rey Mysterio-Eddie Guerrero feud. Because at the time, they were actually the WWE Tag Team Champions, aka the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And this match was billed and built as just uh, two friends going at it to figure out who the better man was. And when you get two athletes like this um, in the ring with one another, two guys who know each other and who knew each other as well as Guerrero and Mysterio did, you knew that it was going to be an excellent match. And that's exactly what it was. And look, obviously, it built all the way until SummerSlam of that year in the latter match for the custody of Dominic. And little did we know how much juice that was left to be squeezed out of this program. And you kind of got the hint that they were edging towards an Aguero heel turn once Rey Mysterio beat him in the match. And you could see that it really did bother Eddie Guerrero. And obviously you get the, the heel turn and then the stuff with Dominic on the side, the ladder match, the steel cage match, all that. But uh, it was pretty cool. And not often that you see... Although I feel like it's happening more often nowadays, but it's not often that you see a program start at WrestleMania, and this was one of the examples where it did. Then the second match of the night, you get the inaugural first ever Money in the Bank ladder match that featured Edge, Chris Jericho, Shelton Benjamin, Chris Benoit, Christian, and Kane. And it was a Raw exclusive match, as it always felt that Raw always kind of got uh, a bit favored during this time. And you kind of took all the guys who had scratched the surface of the main event, but never were able to cement themselves there. And look, there were some guys involved in this match that hadn't quite gotten there yet. Edge was not a main eventer at any point at this juncture yet. Shelton Benjamin was a guy on the rise who was the Intercontinental Champion, I may add. Christian never really got to the main event. But you look at guys like Benoit, Jericho, Kane, all former world champions at this point. And it just kind of, what this match illustrated to me in real time was just how strong the Monday Night Raw middle upper card was. The mid upper card of Monday Night Raw at this time was so damn strong. And to show that you were able to put together a six-man ladder match of singles competitors of this caliber and still have, let's say, two other matches that were theoretically positioned higher on the card than these ones goes to show how deep this ma- this um, this roster was at the time. And, you know, there were some guys here, specifically Edge, who had not yet reached his full potential. But ironically enough... This would the would be the match that really started his ascent. Look at Benoit! Benoit using his, his battling bloody 
So Edge comes out of nowhere and really kind of steals this victory. Although, you know, in a ladder match where there's no rules, it's hard to really steal a victory. But the way that they booked this match, you really thought that it was going to be Chris Benoit. And I know it's easy to say now, after having the money in the bank around for 17 plus years, that the match is tailor-made for a heel to win. But... We didn't know that at this time because it had never happened before. We had never had a Money in the Bank briefcase holder. We had never had a Money in the Bank cash-in before. So for all we knew that like you had to cash it in in a formal setting, like you had to cash it in a week in advance, a day in advance, something, some kind of notice. We didn't know that it would become what it ultimately has where you just run in at any moment and can have a match on the spot. So Benoit winning made sense. And look, just not one year prior, like when we covered uh, WrestleMania 20 a few uh, a few weeks ago, Benoit was on top not even a year ago when this match took place. He had lost the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam that had just passed. So it would have kind of made sense from in real time that they would go back with Chris Benoit. Or then you thought that maybe it would be Chris Jericho because he on screen was the guy who created it. And he actually co-created it with uh, Brian Gearwartz, the former head writer on Monday Night Raw. And then I kind of thought in the back, like, hmm, is there an outside chance that maybe Christian gets it? Like, he's kind of been lingering around the mid card for quite some time. And I never really thought Kane had a chance. They just needed a big man in there. I didn't think... Shelton Benjamin was ready, especially that he had the Intercontinental Championship. But I really thought that it was going to be Benoit or Jericho. That's who I really thought it was going to be. It ultimately being ended up being Edge and uh, caught me off guard, but it turned out to be a hell of a selection. Then we get to the next match, an interpromotional match between SmackDown's Undertaker and Raw's Randy Orton. And I got to tell you, the build to this match really got you prepared for what this match would bring inside the ring because you had the veteran in the undertaker who I would argue at this point in his career was probably at his best in ring 
arguably at his best in character. He had really found himself as he rebirthed the dead man just one year prior. And then you had Randy Orton, who was coming off of a failed babyface run, now back as a heel, back where he belonged, challenging for The Undertaker. And the other part about this match was this was right about around the time where they really started emphasizing the streak for being significant. This was his 13th um, uh, match at a WrestleMania. He was 12-0 and going in, and this is when it really started to feel significant. I remember going in the promos, they were really emphasizing the numbers and showing each one of his opponents who had fell with the number associated to said opponent. Like, uh, they would show number 9, it would be Triple H. Number 10, it would be Ric Flair. Number 12 was Kane. Eight, uh, the, the other one was Kane from WrestleMania 14. So, I started thinking, like, man, are they going to pull the trigger here? Because they had to find a way to get Randy Orton back on a, um, I guess, on a winning path. Because his babyface run had failed so miserably. And his world title victory lasted just one month. And we know now in retrospect it had to do with the fact that he was immature behind the scenes. But the way that they were building this match, I actually started to think that, hey, maybe they're going to put a massive amount of responsibility on Randy Orton and have him defeat The Undertaker. And I got to tell you, there was one point in this match where Randy Orton pulled a reversal where I thought for a second... That it was maybe possible. So, obviously, The Undertaker would come back and win that match uh, via Tombstone Piledriver to go 13-0. But that reversal by Randy Orton off of the chokeslam into the RKO would live on forever. And, you know, you fast forward 17 and a half years later, and it feels like Randy Orton reversing things into an RKO became part of his whole gimmick. And the RKO has become one of the most iconic finishing maneuvers in the history of pro wrestling. And I think it all really started with that reversal at WrestleMania 21. And The Undertaker even spoke about it in one of the documentaries. It may have been specifically covering his rivalry with Randy Orton and he said that they had to find a way to get that move over and they certainly found a way because um look like I just said you fast forward almost two decades later and people adore that move and how many badass ways has Randy Orton found to incorporate RKO's into reversals I remember this what was it the shooting star press of Evan Bourne where he got up and hit him with the RKO 
uh, at WrestleMania 31 where he countered the um, the curb stomp and RKO'd Seth Rollins on the way down. Uh, it's just cool that it all happened at this year's WrestleMania. And Randy Orton put up a good fight. Certainly made me believe for a bit that he was going to win. But in just about 14 minutes, Undertaker was able to secure that victory. Then after that, Trish Stratus, the women's champion, successfully retains her title against Christy Hemi, who was accompanied to the ring by an injured Lita. Four minutes, um, not much to talk about. Really bad match, not a great build, just not good all around. Kind of tells you the state of the women's division at the time, which, I mean, is a little bizarre because at least in the Ruthless Aggression era, while there wasn't a lot of the depth, to the women's division, they usually had good main programs and typically good pay-per-view matches, at, like specifically WrestleMania, but uh, this one was not one of them. You could tell that it was an afterthought, and uh, Trish versus Krista Hammy was just one of the more forgettable women's championship matches in the history of WrestleMania, even for Ruthless Aggression, even though for 20 years ago or 17 years ago, it uh, certainly was not a one, not one to remember. Then you get to the big one. Not a main event by any stretch, but one that is still talked about today. One that is regarded as one of the best matches ever, one of the best rivalries ever, and that was Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels. You know, being... How old was I? 11 at the time. I didn't appreciate it in real time. Uh, I thought that a lot of it was kind of boring. And that, I guess, was just the, the, the child in me. But you watch it back and you grow, you grow to realize just how special this match was. And even as a kid, once the match got going into the second half and it started picking up, I too even got excited. But, you know, the chain wrestling to start the match, the technical wrestling, the ring psychology of those two, these were two of the best to ever do it colliding at once and it's weird that you, it's not always that you get the dream matches like you never got Bret Hart versus Kurt Angle you never got Shawn Michaels versus The Rock you never got Andre versus Big Show well, that's not really a dream match in the same category but you get what I'm trying to say we got one with Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels and this was one of a few matches they would have with one another they would have their rematch at Vengeance in 2005 but this was one for the ages. It went 27 and a half minutes long. And the ending to this match was one of the most intense endings I remember seeing during this time. <laughs> Angle. Angle is still on his shoulders, and Michael's, but the, Michael's 
And uh, again, uh, Shawn Michaels, I mean, is there a guy better than him? Honestly, Um, it was uh, just a way that the way he was able to sell, you know, a submission hold that he was in. And nobody, I think, ever looked better in a loss than Shawn Michaels did. And it feels like when you really look back on his run, when he came back in 2002 until 2010, that he lost far more often than he won. But he just always looks so damn good doing it. And as for Kurt Angle, like, you know, you look back at Ruthless Aggression, if you want to say he was the GOAT of that era, I would not disagree with you one bit. He was an absolute rock star, and these guys blew the roof off of Staples Center. And like I said, I didn't... It, I didn't... um appreciate it in real time maybe because I was a bit young but looking back on it you realize just how special this match was and so did WWE as this was an interpromotional match Smackdown's Kurt Angle versus Raw's HBK but Kurt Angle that summer would get drafted to Smackdown or get drafted to Monday Night Raw and him and Kurt Angle him and Shawn Michaels would pick up right where they had left off at Mania so obviously tough to cover that match. You get the uh, often forgotten sumo match between Aki Bono and the Big Show. And yes, they had a legitimate sumo match. And uh, I don't really know what to say about it. 
a legitimate sumo wrestler came to WrestleMania and defeated the Big Show in one minute. I think it was real. I want to believe it was real. Uh, I don't know why they did it. Um, yeah, nothing really else to say about that. <laughs> then you get John Cena defeating JBL in just over, in just under, rather, 11 and a half minutes for his first ever WWE Championship. Look, big moment, of course, John Cena reaching the top of the mountain, winning his first ever world title. Not a great match, slow match. Again, maybe I was young, didn't appreciate it, but uh, found it kind of boring. Not a great way for John Cena to win his first ever championship, but it it, it was what it was. Def- uh, ends a nine-month run as champion for JBL. So a uh, nice feather in the cap of John Cena in that regard. But somewhat of a forgettable WrestleMania match for John Cena as he had many, many classics to follow this one, especially the two to follow directly after in Triple H in and um, Shawn Michaels in succeeding years. Then you get to the main event of Batista versus Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship. And we know one of the best builds to a WrestleMania ever. Where or a WrestleMania main event ever, where you get the slow burn of waiting for Batista to finally turn babyface on Triple H and completely rid himself of evolution and go into business for himself instead of protecting Triple H. You get the historic babyface turn where he puts the thumbs down, chooses to stay on Monday Night Raw, powerbomb through the table, and um, it was a good match. Went for just over 21 and a half minutes long. Obviously, Ric Flair was involved. Uh, Triple H got bloodied up. And Batista would win the match for the World Heavyweight Championship. And it would be the first of many with these guys. Much like Cena and JBL. JBL and Cena, I think, would have one more match after WrestleMania. Batista and Triple H would have three more matches. And obviously, you want to talk about long-term storytelling. <laughs> like That's about as long-term as you could get. As 14 years later... They would have a rematch at WrestleMania 35 where Triple H would get his revenge, in fact, and retire Batista. And that's how WrestleMania 21 would end. And you had a few other moments where you had Piper's Pit with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And you had uh, Carlito come out and make his presence felt. But you also had another event earlier on in the night where... You had Eugene come to the ring, who was quickly intercepted and confronted by Muhammad Hassan and Davari, who quickly started attacking Eugene until someone decided to intervene. Hollywood. 
So, obviously, Hulk Hogan gets a big pop from the crowd. That happened, I believe, after the Money in the Bank ladder match, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, obviously, Hulk Hogan not really viewed in the same light as he was back then. But he was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame that year. So, it was kind of see cool to see Hulk Hogan come out, do his thing. And he would come back, as we know, that summer for his program with uh, Shawn Michaels that would culminate at SummerSlam. And, uh, but it was cool to see, again, in the moment as a kid, cool to see Hulk Hogan come back, beat up on Muhammad Hassan, who didn't like to see that. But overall, I think this WrestleMania was good. A lot of people have it a lot higher than I do, just because I wasn't a huge fan of several things. The first being I found the WWE Championship match with the JBL and John Cena very, very disappointing. Um, maybe I just think they had stretched the JBL uh, title run on a bit, bit too long. And it kind of felt flat by the time I got to Cena. It just felt a bit too predictable. Um, I felt the Women's Championship match was a complete waste of everyone's time. I didn't like that, and I didn't like that, aside from the Women's Championship and the two men's world titles, there were no championships defended on the card. Because you went from WrestleMania 20, where every single championship, aside from one, being the Intercontinental title, was defended, to no titles defended. And... Look, I I don't think it's a prerequisite, but I also think that you should make an effort for titles to be defended on the biggest stage of the year. Like, no tag team title defended, no U.S. title. Uh, the Intercontinental Champion was featured on the show, but again, nothing. And just on a side note, the Intercontinental title would not be uh, featured on WrestleMania for three straight years in 2021-22. So, I mean, we kind of just went through that. Uh, in the last 18 months as well, with it not being defended on a pay-per-view. But uh, that was just three consecutive WrestleManias, not three straight years. Get that right. But uh, yeah, I, I just... And look, obviously, subjectively, I was a Rock fan, as you all know. And it was the first time since WrestleMania 12 that The Rock was not featured on a WrestleMania. So I felt that a big, big bummer because he was just full-scale Hollywood at this point. And, you know, not having The Rock there in any capacity for the WrestleMania for the first time in my, you know, in my life, pretty much. I started watching WrestleMania for the first time in WrestleMania 2000, and he was there in 2000, 01, 02, 03, and even 04, where he wasn't really part of wrestling. He came back to do the handicap match with uh, Evolution. So for him not to come back at all for a... um for a match or a segment or nothing was kind of a tough bill to swallow. And, uh, but you know, it is what it is. So all in all, a good WrestleMania from an objective point of view, probably a top 15 WrestleMania of all time. But for me, subjectively, I remember not being crazy about it in the moment. I was relatively disappointed to be honest, although there were some really good matches in here, uh, specifically angle versus, um, IHBK, triple H versus Batista, the uh the money in the bank match but uh it just left a lot to be desired for me for whatever reason well anyway guys that's all i got for you today i hope you enjoyed the covering wrestlemania 21 as always you can get me on twitter at adamarker25 you can get matt on twitter at wrestling underscore audio or you can email him each and every week for the wwe mailbag enjoy your weekend guys 
I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show. Or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.